Hello and welcome to your review for the 18th of April 2023. I'm your host as always, Greg McKay, and I'm joined by the delectable one. It is, of course, Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? Hello, Graham. I'm great, thank you. Um, small thing to pick up with you. Um, I didn't get an Easter quiz last weekend. And I was listening to another podcast that your host, um, non-football one, Digressive Left is called. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the name of those two, but they got an Easter quiz about the New Testament. And I, how, I, I did not get that last weekend. How do you think you would have fared in the Easter quiz? I think I knew a couple of them, actually. You remember, I'm... I'm you know, way back, I'm baptized and confirmed. You have to do both in a way if, if you want any money. Mm. So that, that's why you do it. So, where do you get the money from? Relatives and family. Oh, right. I thought, they were, I thought you meant it was like a state thing where you get paid to be confirmed. <laughs> it, they put you in the state church. It didn't be that much choice at that time. Uh, no, but when you the year you turn 15, you can be confirmed and you can do it in a civil um, ceremony as well. But Essentially, uh, it's a way of getting a lot of money and presents. So, well, I mean, just... the, the, the true meaning of religion, really. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And just uh, as you brought that up there to, to mention that uh, on that quiz, Dave Flanagan, uh, formerly of this uh, parish, parish. Yeah. Uh, got zero out of six, I think it was. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. And uh, Frankie Mitchell got five out of six, including. The what did Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene as a gardener? I mean, she just put this knowledge out. I don't know. I did not know that. No, but. that was that was a deep cut. That was a deep cut. But what, how how the hell has your week been? What have you been up to this week? This week, uh, since last week, we had a big big birthday in the family. That's all done. I'm glad it's ten years to the next one. And then, well, yeah, I've been out national trusting. Been a bit of a national trusting. Uh, what does that involve? It means going to a national trust place. Uh-huh. So, Colleen, and always Colleen is if you want to show like a word to somebody who's, I guess, not living in Scotland, and say, How do you pronounce this? I think Colleen is the furthest away from how you pronounce the tower is built. It is ridiculous. But, I mean, I think even the percentage of Scottish people would call it cozying, to be honest. Um, maybe the non-Asher people. Yeah. I mean, so. my brother used to call Mulgai Mil- Melangavi, so and he's Scottish. <laughs> Mulgai is another one. Yeah. <laughs> That's good but yeah, other than that, it's been, it's been great, Rip. Thank you very much. How are you? Because there's a lot of stuff happening with you at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, back to, back, back to work, um, meetings, registering the students, and this week I start my... German, official German lessons at the university. Three how, times 90 minute classes a week. How many years have you lived in Germany? That's irrelevant, you know. It's uh, doesn't it's matter. a more or less than 10. Egal, as Germans would say, which means it doesn't matter. So there you go. You're about dropping a bit of knowledge there. But I, okay. it's, it's not me you have to impress. So. It's funny because I have a, a whole host of German vocab from the years of living here, but I'm going to be going into an A1 class, which is like Ich bin Graham, Ich komme aus Scotland. So I'm going to be nice. like learning these basic, basic sentences, but That's I already intense. know the German for things like Aquaschreiber, which is a hand drill. So, you know, it's going to be a weird combination. It's that like, so my brother's, this has got quite attention. People are fucking going fucking hell. Just no, even international. We can talk about this. Uh, but my uh, <laughs> my my brother's best friend back in Norway. He's his dad is French, so obviously he spoke fluent French. 
And so he took French at school because he's like, you know, he's easy enough grades. Um, but the way the grades are like done in always, you get one foot for like, like speaking, like mm. spoken word, and then for writing. I think it's got like a C for the writing because it's never written anything, uh, really. It's you know, you can read it, but it's like, the spell stuff, it, it was terrible. So, uh, yeah, just a wee story there. That, that could be you. So, you, people that maybe you'll be English. bottom of the class as well. So. I definitely will. I mean, I think it's going to be me and 19. Asian Erasmus students that will be in the class, so that, that should be interesting. It will be or them, yeah, yeah, it, it will be. I mean, they'll see it's like uh, I'll, I'll tell them that I work at the university, and I'll be like a kind of uh, God you know, celebrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, 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 That's how I see you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Should we start with the football? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do we need to? Uh, <laughs> We're we're going to go over command like probably not as long as previous. I mean, I've said that before, and we've gone for like ninety minutes on the game. But you've only got you've only sent me twenty five images. Yeah, so sorry. It's probably going to be smaller, but we've got plenty of uh, news stories to talk about, including the hunt for Leo Abada, which appears to be hotting up. Uh, so we'll talk about Celtic news stories, and then we'll go into some way the way the world of sports, uh, but. Sounds Today, a bit like Trans World Sport. Did you watch that when you were a kid? I did. I did. Celtic Sports Club. It came to my local Isaka club once. It's like one of the greatest days of my childhood. So, did you play ice hockey? I so were you the I, gun? No, I didn't play. I I went to ice hockey school. Like it's just like a, a night school, not an official one. I was going to start officially with the team. Mm. Got everything. Went to. Um, practice and it wasn't on that day and I never rejoined um, but at the end of P7 as you have like you'll have football games at school against other schools we had no Isaac players in our school but it was like a P7 tournament okay we put a team in and I guess played against the school that was like I feel the Isaac players and I went to the goals I was like oh, I'll go to goals it looks easy lost 40-0 what is- 40-0 and in one game, so that, that's my only one and only ice hockey. How oh. how long were the the, the halves? I don't even know that long, honestly. It may be like two times ten minutes. I think I think I saved one shot out of forty one. Did so, you mean to save the shot, or did it hit off you? I. That's how you save shots in ice hockey. My my friend Axel, who couldn't even skate, he just he was just falling over. So. We should really start in football now. When in Norway, who's in Norwegians there? Uh, yeah, I mean, segue here. Uh, at one point, the game on Sunday, we were scoring at such a rate. It could have been 40 now by the end of it. That is a good segue. <laughs> they don't pay me the big bucks on that. <laughs> um, okay. That was... Um, it. Fit. So I, I like to always start when we're doing these things with the kind of like... The, the the stupid man's, the unthinking man's overview of what they saw in this game. And to me, yes. it felt as if it was like we'd been saying all season, it, wouldn't it be nice if one of these teams like opened up and tried to play? They opened up and tried to play. We battered them and then they decided to not do that ever again. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. I mean, the, the, which is exactly almost what, exactly what happened against Dundee United <laughs> away, which, which I blame for teams going 5-3-2. Although, 
Ironically, Dungeon United went five three two in that game as well. But yeah, um, I think you're right, Graham. Even in your uh, you know pathetic little mind of yours, mm-hmm. as as you alluded to there, mm-hmm. um, that was a complete. You swear there, pummeling, right? First twenty seven minutes, Celtic gets ten shots, four goals, one point eight eight six xg. Aside from the penalty, add the penalty, you get 2.61. Now, there's 11 league games this season where Celtic haven't got over 2.6 XG, right? So, but they managed it in 27 minutes here. 16 games they haven't even got to 3 XG. Um, 10 shots, six games this season, they've got 11 shots or less. So, at all accounts, those first 27 minutes were a complete takedown on this Kilmarnock team. And I think whenever you get that, like you did against Dundee United, it will be, like, when you see something to that degree of complete annihilation, there will always be a combination of the defensive side doing something wrong and the attacking side being on top form. And I think that essentially was happening. We can get into it, but Derek McKenna's setup was silly, stupid, the execution of it by the players, his players made it even worse. But I also don't think you could have picked a worse Celtic lineup to do what he did against as well, because it worked so well. And you know the the way the players executed and the type of players I guess Celtic had on the pitch specifically was just you know it was a perfect storm. And that was you know that's why it was four 0 after twenty seven minutes. It reminded me of. Uh... When we went a school trip to Fernethe when I was mm-hmm. in primary school, uh, Fernethe is kind of Perthshire away, and we were going away for a week, and it was going to be one of those outdoor things where you see ospreys and all that shit. And we had like a, a meeting beforehand with one of the representatives of this place, and we got to ask them questions. And I put my hand up and said, uh, "Do the pillows have uh, feathers? Because I'm allergic to feathers, and would like to make sure there wasn't any like feathers." <laughs> And the guy said, oh, that's a very, very good question. But And I, I, get, I get full of pride. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. He thought it was a good question. Ten minutes later, I asked if we should bring a comb. And uh, people laughed. For me, this was like Derek McInnes. The last time we played, asked the question of Celtic about the fellas and the pillows. This time he asked if he should bring a comb. We listened to you in the weekend update. You sounded a wee bit nervous about coming in this I game. Was. Away I from was. home after playing against them. Why did they decide to ask the question about the comb? Where the fuck did that come from? I had no idea where that was going, but it landed well. Thank you. I think. Um, let me take your trip back. Um, like I did on a weekend update as well. But first league game of the season, Commander got 4 5 1. You know, extreme man marking uh, again doesn't work at all, right? As we talked about it before, second league game, I thought Commander was. Very good in, in the semi final as well. I thought their setup was was clever. You know, it took a lot of me to say that about Derek McGinnis' side. Uh, we know the 5 3 2, as we talked about, they compressed the space really well vertically, you know, very little space between the lines, but also horizontally, you know, they, they pushed uh, Celtic to one side. You know, Celtic struggled to create a lot. <clears throat> In, in those two games overall, I mean, they still win because this is a very good team. 
But yeah, we, we had to praise Derek McGuinness. And that I wonder, Graham, if he just watched the derby on Sunday and went on Saturday even and said, ah, maybe look look at that. Look at that. A four four two. Get get those four guys in midfield, have them cover Celtic number eights, have them cover uh, the fullbacks and put my one of my strikers on Cal McGregor, Bob's your uncle. Maybe, maybe, maybe he fought back at that time. He rejected the Rangers job and said, maybe he regrets that every day. You know, uh, I regret it every day. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't think. Um, Remember when they almost appointed Frank Lampard as well? Oh, still hope. If yeah. Chelsea can do it, oh, yeah. they, they might not be as stupid as Chelsea. Which is, mm-hmm. But, but so uh, I don't know. I mean, so this is the first time uh, a team outside the Rangers has played a back four <laughs> against Celtic since Hibs, I think 28th of December. And why he did it, I had no idea, other than watching the derby. Because essentially what I said there, like image one and image two, is like the rough overview, I think, of how they wanted to play. So you have the two strikers, one of them covered a passing lane to McGregor, and one of them kind of cut off the other centre-back. The wingers cover Celtic's full-backs. The two central mid cover Celtic's number eight, they see image one. Image two is kind of uh, another representation of that. Um, or And also uh, an early indication that <laughs> the players weren't very, very good at this because um, you've got Armstrong, the right winger, um, just kind of forgetting about Greg Taylor, which he did a lot. And so that's what he tried to do. Did it work? It did not. What were the issues, Graham? Many. <laughs> you know, that stupid mistake at one 0 probably doesn't help either, but just just a sequence after sequence of, of different things I, I think they did wrong and Celtic did well. We can get into it. But Graham, I, I kind of post a question to you. Why did he do it? I would any, like Yeah, any favorites here? I would like to think that we do not operate a professional league, a professional top flight league where a manager looks at a team like Rangers trying it against us and thinks, I could do that. I would like to believe that's not the case. After you saying that, I believe that's probably what happened. (laughs) I mean, correlation doesn't mean causation, but I... (laughs) I, I don't think any teams have been close to try and play that way. And then the week after Rangers do it, um, maybe you read that Barry Ferguson article and says, Bass, Bass is right here. I'm going to try this. Th- this maybe, is the template. Maybe listen to, to you and thought, I'm Barry Big Boys here. I can do I'm I'm the best manager in the league. I can do what I want. Maybe. Maybe he is a, a listener, a subscriber. Hi, Derek. Uh, it's that thing with Ash. No, I'm not going to but so there's a few elements of this, like what he tried to do. So first of all, do still you remember for the first this is you know image three and, and four is kind of together. This is at one nil. Kamarnik was very aggressive in pressing high. And I think the issue with that is there's a couple of things. First of all, you have a set of Celtic players, um, even one of the centre backs who's and then uh, one centre backs and then also a midfielder in Ivata that we'll get to him, don't worry. Who's yeah, it's the common confident of the ball, but they move off the ball so well. So Celtic had no issues playing through that high press. You know, image three, you can see that Kill is very aggressive from Celtic's goal kick. 
They've got five players in or just around the penalty box and then two more in the final third, including Ash Taylor, uh, you know, a famously fast and useful player when you're playing a high line. Um, Aberdeen legend. Exactly. And then going then over to uh, into image four, like so, Yuki. Can we go with Yuki? Is, is that how you pronounce it as well? I mean, I think I would go Yuki y- or Koba. Yuki. Koba. I've been doing Koba before, but nobody seems to pick up on that. So, so Yuki. I think yeah. a lot of people, same with Hatsubarovic, I think a lot of us were going Haksa in yeah. text messages because we weren't sure how to spell the rest. And I've been doing that with Koba, to be honest. Okay, I make I make it I make it look as if I'm cool and I know him well that I'm saying Koba, but it's because I don't know how to spell the rest of the words. So Koba, all right. Mm-hmm. And McGregor very calmly finds Greg Taylor, who then finds Callum McGregor again. Um especially since Kelly's fun too is not exactly fast presses. Get back to them. But at this point, image four, you can see Kilmarnock's got they've gambled so high, they've got four players in Celtic's first third. And there's only two Celtic players there. And then in the middle third, Celtic now have got five players against Achilles, three players. And there's this huge gap down to the Kamaric defensive line as well. So this is a textbook how not to play a high line. From, you know, uh, image five, it's the same textbook. You know, you have that front to try to press, but it means they're not very good at it. It means somebody else needs to pick up McGregor leaving Iwata free, and then Taylor calmly slots the ball to him. It's image five, but all these images, it's bad setup, it's bad pressing, you know, they're throwing everything up high, but then, you know, following up with your defenders, all of them. And Celtic has the players like the calmness and the awareness and the movement just to play out, you know, and, and that was against the high press, and then even, you know, slightly further up, um, image six and seven, kind of like the last one, and, and this kind of image is looking at Kimari pressing high. Celtic's passing and moving here, com- like combined with Kill's like awful structure, he made it so easy passing through. So image six is McGregor receiving deep in front of the two Killy strikers, Armstrong and Murray, who's the the Killy wingers. They're on the Celtic fullbacks, Donnelly. Here sits a bit lower on Matt O'Reilly after picture. But then Iwata just kind of goes wide and behind Watson. Again, Iwata has great movement. He just kind of loses sight of and McGregor sends a, a lovely pass to him. But you can kind of then see in image seven, which is just the next phase, and the camera pans back. You can see that huge distance down to the defensive line. So I put an arrow between the lowest lying striker and the highest defender. So that's the closest point between the two strikers and the defense. It's like a third of the pitch, uh, the middle third of the pitch, basically. Maybe even more that. Like this, like you can't go that high up unless you press the whole team after. So, you know, they try to be aggressive, they try to go high, but <laughs> from the front two to the back four to the players in between losing their man, they just wasn't very good. But as we come back to. Celtics movement, Celtics passing, just like a knife through butter. I, I love, I love the idea of trying this with a team that are not experienced at it whatsoever. 
at the same time as coming up against a team who, through injuries basically, are bringing in their best ball-playing centre-back and bringing in Iwata, who is a more kind of like uh, defensive midfielder, but is so good at fast linking up with McGregor. So we basically brought in a, a triangle of players that could zip the ball about when you're pressing them. And jumping a bit, but you're also putting in your middle two then in that four four two, which is a huge shift, especially when your strikers are like two donkeys who can't move much. You put an eighteen year old instead of your like kind of club club captain there. And you kinda of go okay. Um good luck, I guess. Um so they were also like they had a high aggressive press, which didn't really work. And then but I was thinking like, okay, so, so what are Kimarnock's players' role within the system? Are they going sonal? Are they going man-marking? And I think maybe they were probably doing man-marking, but there were issues when they stuck to the man-marking, and then there were issues when they completely lost their Celtic man. So image eight like kind of triggered something in me, like deep down. That I, I I didn't think I'd, I'd ever get back into. It triggered memories of an Lennon game tactically. Um, wow. I know. So image eight, Starfield have the ball on his side. Alistair didn't call him Anthony. Alistair Johnston is is inverted in the central. He's covered by Fraser Murray. The left back Chambers is marking Hexa, our pal Hexa. So as the ball goes out to Hexa, but just a little bit inside Kelly's half. Alston Johnson makes the run behind Chambers, behind the left back. So you would think then at that point, your priority as a left back is to then just stay where you are, protect that space where you've got somebody running in behind you and not run up to the striker who's always at, uh, with the wingers on the halfway line. No. Chambers just Chambers runs straight up towards Haxabanovich and then Murray is struggling to keep track of Johnston, like mm. so, but it reminded me so much of the Derek McInnes man marking masterclass of, of almost four years ago. Let me take you back to October 2019. Let me take everybody who's got access to the share drive back because image nine is an image from that 4 0 game in October 2019, where I still remember this clearly where Aberdeen's left back followed James Forrest from. Aberdeen's half followed James Forrest into Celtic's own half as Jeremy Shrimpong runs in behind him and this it sets up um Celtic's second goal. Shrimpong scores the second goal. That was just like for me, that was just kind of Derek McGuinness distilled that for some reason your left back is following the opposition right winger into his own half when your opposition's right back is running in behind you. And it's essentially what happens. Alistair Johnson doesn't even get the ball here at this point, but it's a nice run, but he doesn't get it. And if but he does just, get it, then Kamalnaka like split open. Exactly. Which, so, yeah, it's it kind of went back to that, whereas, as we talked about in January, they were very good at just covering space, denying space. And here they had, like, guys just, again, going old school, Derek McInnes. I think it, maybe he's in some sort of crisis. Graham, I think, I think, I but maybe it's a like it's just. Oh, I remember when I was second with Aberdeen, he's thinking, 
and I was, you know, I was taking the terrain, uh, taking it, you know, going past ranges, you know, getting results against Celtic. Maybe, maybe he just wanted the glory days back. I, I think for me, it just since we did that last pod after playing them, there's been that kind of weight on my shoulders, like, yeah, thinking, do I live in the world now where Derek McInnes is irrelevant? And I'm just glad. I'm just glad that we don't need to think about that anymore. Like, Even better, he, 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 he's threatening to be relevant, but by his own decision, he says, no, I, I choose irrelevancy. I yeah. choose ridicule by what, some nerd on our Celtic podcast. What, so. so, I mean, what this reminded me of is, uh, is oftentimes when we come up against teams in the Champions League, we'll, we'll have people saying, oh, we should go defensive. We can't be playing our own game uh, in the New camp or whatever, and we do set up. I mean, I think as we've we've spoken about before, Brendan Rodgers does play the five at the back in the new camp, and it's just not our game at all. And we get mauled anyway. Uh, is this is this a case of a team just trying to play a totally different style of football for one game of the season, and it just been patently obvious that they can't that a team can't go for thirty seven games of a season playing one way to switch it one one week to play another. Yeah, I mean, obviously I haven't watched him in those 31, 32 games, but it comes back to the fact that he played them. He played Celtic twice in January and what they did worked really well. And as I was nervous on Friday, I was like, I think they have to do this again. It worked well. And now you have the pitch with the surface and the size of it, which will all fit into, you know, what you're trying to do last time with compressing space and Keeping you know, giving any time on the ball, you would have think a small artificial pitch would have been even better with that. If, if you replicate that and do that again, you know, surely, you know, it just makes sense. But then he just and he goes and does something silly like saying, "I, I'm going to my mark." Is having sorry before you go on? Is having a pitch like that? Does it become almost a like a crutch? Did is, does it become like maybe depending too much on it because? Everyone thinks of Celtic are going to struggle because it's a plastic pitch. So does that become a, a crutch for a team with Kamala, do you think? No, I mean, the, the, it is working for them. They've only lost three times. Mm. And they've like the, the fourth, third, fourth best team in the league at home. So it does work for them. But both times at home against Celtic, he's done back four. You know, he's done some... Man, man, I, I don't know. It's just... I think it's just stupid. Can I ask was, a tangent? Yeah, question, t- tangential question before we go on, and this is actually to do with Rangers. Oh, I, I didn't see the the St. Mung game uh, at Ibrooks, but I looked at the I was looking at the the foot mob as the game was going on just to see how the game was going, and one thing that kind of jumped out at me was how when we played St. Mung, it was it's often a kind of um, struggle, struggle to create chances, a struggle to break through. What is it about? the way that we try and attack that makes us susceptible to St. Mern making it turgid for us. And what what is that? Because I, I don't agree. I don't believe that Rangers have a better attack, but it seems to me that their attack was maybe, I don't know, maybe more suited to getting through St. Mern. Is there something there? Is it just these are two, two, two totally different games? Mm, is guess. it... Is, because I always thought that was Gerard as well. That some games I felt as if it was, I felt as if you could trust them to break down the the, 
the plankton because they're more agricultural the, the way that they go forward? I'd have to see the game. But I think in general, teams have been going to Ibrox and being a little bit more open, I think, than... Why? That's <laughs> a good question. Maybe they think it's they have a better chance of getting something. Maybe it's as simple as to look at that 9-0 early in the season and go, no. It, it could be a case of people have seen teams like Kamarnock playing 5-3-2 against Celtic and seen them at least not get that 9-0. And I think they've because there's so many teams that play the same way against Celtic. And I was going to say they do it successfully. They do it successfully enough not to get hammered completely. Because I think it's that relentlessness of the Celtic team that, yeah, they have the players, both the system and the belief in it, and, and they, they keep doing the same things and they, they keep creating that. It is just overwhelming in the end. So you can focus a lot defensively and you can kind of keep Celtic at 2-3-4 sounds silly, but you get nothing offensively. And and that is why Celtic is on course to have the most goals in the league season and the most points in the league season, even though a lot of people will go, oh, it hasn't been sparkling all the time. We should think like surely it has to be. So I think it's just that relentlessness of the machine together with teams just going 5-3-2 and being a lot more structured, focused, I guess, and not taking any chances at all. I think a lot of teams against Rangers will have gone Let's just go for a point here. Whereas against Celtic, they've kind of just let's just keep it. Let's not get let's not get ten because um, th- this could have been ten. Uh, it always was against Dundee United. So, but uh, with Rangers as well, they will have ever since Gerard came in with Beal there, which is what five years now. Mm. They would have played roughly the same way with roughly the same players. So uh, it didn't change that much on the on Broncos either. So was, if you ask me, why is Rangers taking as many points as they are this season? Um, I think yeah, one point is you look at the three other teams with the best squad, Hibs, Hearts and Aberdeen, all been woefully managed tactically this season. Um, how, how Johnson is the one left, I, I don't know because he might actually be the worst of them. So you, you do have three teams there who hasn't been able to take much points. But Rangers, while I think their system is functional, I don't think they're much more than that. It is functioning because the, the players know it and it, they've been playing the same way for so many years. So I think that's where it comes from. A lot of reason why they take so many points as well, because they know their system inside out, the players know their system inside out, and they keep doing the same thing. And I think that stability of a system, especially when you don't have better players, you end up, you just end up winning most of your games, essentially, and creating a lot more XG. So that's my answer. I don't know what is that. Is that what you asked? I can't remember. But no, I, I was just, I was just kind of thinking about like directness of attack and against against simple teams that might. I mean, especially I, if you don't have more space. Right? Yeah. Like if I if I'm playing a thirty eight game season in Scotland, I'm going with Ant System because Ant System can um, open many many doors. You know, yeah. if if it's a case of Celtic playing against uh, home against St Mirren and Rangers playing at home against St Mirren, I think so, I, I, sometimes I just have a feeling that they're more likely to get a higher score because they're going to just 
go direct and play in, in Morelos and like take balls and stuff like that. They're, they're going to be they're going to try and be less sophisticated, and that might it's kind of like uh, if if you see every problem problem is a nail, you're going to use a hammer, and that's just the way I feel that Rangers are as a team. Whereas we look a the problem solve. Aye, exactly. George yeah. Roberts of our team. Uh, is, it, is there anything in that? Do you think, or is it just me havering? I go back to the point that Celtics almost have a perfect season, though. So, uh, I, I, maybe uh, tell the worker I'll need to watch the summer game anyway for the you know the cup semi-final. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll have a look and I'll have a think, and then I'll ask Stephen Russell, and then take his ideas as mine and give me yeah. an answer. I like it. About... I like it that you you're taking like theorizing now. I think we're building you up like we're doing with your German. Just yeah. So next week I'll be theorizing German. Don't learn too much done because you might actually be able to start calling out some of my bullshit. Because yeah. a lot of this is is based on you, you know, me just sounding smart rather than being smart. And if I start theorizing in German, I might start about is that. I'll about start in Norwegian. But I, I might start oh. thinking about uniting the Germanic tribes, um, like moving the moving the borders and stuff like that. So I mean, we don't want we don't want wow. that kind of stuff. That's yeah, okay. That is that is that one on one in the. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning. So we've spoken about all the th- bad things that Kamarnik have done, um, but there was two teams on the park, and Celtic played, especially in that first 30, 35 minutes, played a lot of splendid, splendid football. And uh, I think a lot of the players in the park would have been giddy with excitement about all the freedom that they were getting for the first time in their careers in Scotland. Uh, how did we go about dismantling them? I mean, because it was systematic. So, yeah, I think there's that kind of nice segue into still focusing on <laughs> back in Marcos and Meganis and also start looking at, okay, you know, takes two to tango. Graham, and how they did that. So, image 10, image 10 and 11 is actually the same move because it is the third goal uh, as well. Um so you have you know, Karstoffelt's on the ball, just inside his own half. Kamarnik is in the preferred structure. You know, the midfield four is covering Celtics number eight. So the fullbacks, one of the strikers are covering McGregor. The other striker is kind of there as well, ready to maybe cut out the pass across to, to Koba. Greg Taylor is in the middle circle, just behind the strikers, killer strikers. The ball goes over to, to Kobayashi. And then Greg Taylor falls down into the space behind the midfield line. And Armstrong, like who's who's essentially should be marking Greg Taylor. I mean, he seems completely oblivious to him. You know, this image two is like two images is one. And when Kobayashi has the ball, Greg Taylor just falls down between the defensive line, midfield line, right back behind him. Like he's supposed to mark him. Like he's supposed to, you know, he's at least to keep an eye on him. Completely loses Greg Taylor. It's a lovely ball from Kobayashi to, to Taylor. And then this is going on with the image 11. You can see Matt O'Reilly is side to side with his marker, Donnelly. But again, just goes past his marker. He gets bolder from, from Taylor. It's, it's a lovely finish. So this is great from Kobayashi. It's great from Taylor. It's great from O'Reilly. But it's also two players in, in Kelly's midfield four that completely loses their man, like to a degree that you go like, what are you on? Um, so, and again, see the penalty situation at Trino. 
it's, it's, it's very similar. Like, so this is image 12, which is three images in one. Again, Starfield has the ball in a pretty much the exact same position. Greg Taylor is in the middle of the pitch, in the middle of Kilmarnock's half as well. Ball over to Kobayashi again. At this point, Taylor is, this is the middle part of that image 11. Taylor is almost on the right-hand side centrally. Somebody, could have been Stephen Russell, uh, describes this as Keith Starmering, because as right of the center, you, you get a, you, you get a sorry politics joke. Um, anyway, um, Armstrong follows Ivata, who Armstrong, the right wing, is following Ivata, who's making the run wide. Again, great movement by Ivata. We'll get to that. So it should be really Donnelly, who's in the middle, picking up Taylor, as Armstrong has taken his man. But then both Armstrong and Donnelly, I don't know what they're doing. They end up far wide with the Kelly right back, trying to cover Ivata and pressing Maeda. And as you know, like Maeda can just send the ball into an open wide Greg Taylor. Christian Deutsch finally realizes that, you know, that somebody should really pick him up. He sprints down and he fouls Taylor like the, like the big donkey striker. Yes. So uh, again, you have a, a one point there, you know, it's Alistair Johnston image comparing to Aberdeen where the man marking was too extreme. Like you need to cover space. Whereas here, the man marking was non-existent. And it's like, at least, you know, have a look, la- look around lads and, and try to do it. But I guess now you also have to think about that is <laughs> you're playing against the Celtic team as well. Like image 13, image 14, it's just kind of a visualization of a of, of couple of things. First is Greg Terra's received passes. One is the first half an hour and then the other one is the whole game. This is where he received his passes. And you can see his majority of the passes he received in this game wasn't on, on the wing. It was in the half spaces, some of them on the other side of the pitch, on the right-hand side as well. He was always constantly moving, obviously picking up the ball. And this must be the kind of games he just loves when he can just pick up the ball in the middle of the pitch for fun all the time. Image 14, it's just a pass map over um, the first half and the second half. But it was kind of a nice illustration of that midfield tree. Because if you ask me, who, who, who was, I'll ask you, who, who do you think was playing the, the deep pivot of the three Celtic midfielders, Graham? I would say it was rotating. That's what it felt like in the first half. I, I could, uh, Matt O'Reilly was usually a bit higher up in the first half, and he's slightly higher up on the pass map. But Calmer Gregor and Ivata is just banging in the same spot. And in the second half, Ivata has passes higher up the pitch than O'Reilly has in Calmer Gregor. So, yeah, the three of them double pivot, triple pivot. You know, call, call but, it what you want. Is it, but, but, but would it be regarded as a double pivot if they are and if no. they're rotating it? I mean, because no, 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 that's the thing. I mean, I, I think roughly there was one person in the deep pivot. But <laughs> the t- the thing is, sometimes it was with Cal McGregor. Sometimes it was Avata. A lot of the times, I think it's coming up soon. It was Greg Taylor, mm. and you had Greg Taylor as the deep pivot, and then Ivata, McGregor, and O'Reilly on a line. Tell you what, I'll, I'll I'll do something unheard of and jump because image eighteen is exactly that. So hey, Greg Taylor is in the deep pivot, and then you have O'Reilly, Iwata, and McGregor in a line of three, just in front of Kamarnik's midfield four. So Kobayashi gets the ball from Taylor. He goes wide out to Maeda, 
I see he does that. Callum McGregor makes the run beyond the defensive line in the half space. So like that typical Hatate run, like pushing into that half space beyond the defense. So when then Callum McGregor, uh, so when then Greg Taylor standing Callum McGregor comes up again and joins the attack, I think it's Watson this time who's completely lost track of his man. Um, you know, because Ivata had dropped deep to into the pivot role that Callum uh, that Greg Taylor came from. Image eighteen is using. Greg Taylor receiving the ball in huge spaces, but that is because he starts up the deep pivot. Cal McGregor does the job of a, an attacking number eight, pushing beyond, and then McGregor comes after. And it's that movement, I think, conf- just confused Kilmarnock the whole time. Like, image 15 and 16 and 17 is essentially the, the same attack, but you can see how that kind of Taylor inverting and that relentless movement all over from the whole of the midfield tree created so much space. So image 15, Starfield is on the ball quite deep. Vassell is sort of a McGregor, one of the strikers. But McGregor, Ivata, and Taylor are all in the middle. Like Matt O'Reilly is in Kelly's half, but almost you know, this, this tree deep midfielder is almost at that point. So you think, okay, maybe Ivata is going to stay in the middle. Greg Taylor is going to go left. Callum McGregor is maybe going to come in. But when the ball goes over to Kobayashi, it's Taylor who just stays in the middle. This is now image 16. So his marker, Kamaga's right midfielder Armstrong, he goes, okay, my left back is in the middle. I know. I'll just run over to him. Like, abandon my my right-hand side there and just run at Greg Taylor. When he does that, Cool. Uh, Ivata just moves into the left back space, and he's got, and and Watson, uh, one of the central midfielder, goes. Uh, first of all, what are you doing, uh, Armstrong? Coming, and then he kind of goes to cover Ivata. But then you think about where's Cal McGregor in all this? Cal McGregor is making a run behind the midfield. Mm. So nominally the deep pivot, he lets the left back stay as the deep pivot. He lets, he lets his other central midfielder becomes the left back, and he goes and becomes the number eight. So you see, image so image seventeen, Ivata gets the ball from Taylor, and you can see Cal McGregor coming into a huge space, dangerous space as well. And and look at the the gap between Kalmarnik's two central midfielders, like Donnelly is on Matt O'Reilly on in the middle of the center circle. And then Watson is, is pushing up in the bat. And it's just, it just confused him, right? And it, it confused him in organized play. Image 19 is just them being confused. <laughs> um, this, huh? is before, this is before the fourth goal, I think it is. It's a struggle emoji. When it is actually an attack, um, they lose the ball right at top and Celtic's penalty box. And Essentially, I, I tried to mark out the Kelly back four, but again, it's kind of this time it's O'Reilly in the in the middle of this image who, who drops deep on the ball, and McGregor again makes that run behind the midfield line, and again he's he's it's completely open. Again, he makes that run behind the defensive line. He doesn't actually get the ball. Maeda uses that space to go in. He should probably play uh, first-time pass, but he takes the shot, he goes up in the air. Tracy Murray has another nightmare, and then, then it's 4-0. But it's 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 just, you could have used so many images. Um, 
Image 20 is kind of Kobe work we've already done, but that is Starfield. He actually does well to, to step out beside the strikers, challenge that midfield line. And then Watson, he's, he's like an aging or young guy. He's on Iwata. Iwata's kind of trying to make this run behind them. But instead of following Iwata, Watson jumps up on Starfield, which is it's just an expansion. Shouldn't do. Starfield leaves the ball to Iwata. He's got lots of space. So it just, there were okay. so many I've different few questions to ask you. It was just so many different ways that um, Celtic were doing this. But essentially, absolute masterclass from Celtic. So a couple of players we can zone in on now. Absolute masterclass from them. A terrible setup from McInnes and individual performances that were just shocking from some of the Camaro players. So going back to image 14, why in the second half is uh, O's uh, circle so much lower than what Kyogo was in the first half? And obviously David Turnbull is taking, seems to be taking up the Kyogo position in the second half. Also, I mean, I think that will be a, a pretty simple answer. So I want to go into the second oh, okay. question as well. The second question is when it comes to this kind of rotation, because this is this is further rotation than what we've seen so far. Obviously, Celtic have been famous for rotations under Ange, but this idea of Iwata, Taylor and McGregor being interchangeable, is that uh, evolution of Ange, option A? Option B, is that because we had utter dross against us and we had the freedom to move wherever we wanted? Or option C, is that preparation for the 30th of April? And if you don't know the 30th of April, just send it. Thanks. Um, I think there's probably it'll be a little bit of everything, I think. I think it's also add to that the personnel. So I think in, in, in Iwata, you have someone who's, for me, his, his main strength is his movement, like especially off the ball. And by I mean by movement, I say mean finding spaces there he wants to receive the ball. He's ridiculous at it. I'll give you a couple of examples after, but I think because he has that fluidity and he can do a six and he can do an eight, and he's now playing with McGregor and a, another player who can easily switch from the six to the eight as well. And I think, and then with the space and the opposition, Greg Taylor could come in and do that as well. So you're playing all three of them to, to their strengths. And I guess some of Matt O'Reilly, who's, who's a bit more attacking, but he's played deeper as well. So what it is for, is, is it a prep for the semifinal? I think Ange has brought Ivarta in to play him, or at least be one of, say, four who's like pushing. And it's so, you know, as you've had almost with the wingers for a long time, you have a plus one. And it, no matter who you choose, it's a really good fit for the system and they work really well. And we talked about, okay, but what is Ivarta's role in this? Is it because you can't just be giving Cal McGregor a couple of weeks off? Are you doing a double pivot? Are you pushing McGregor up to an eight? And I'd, I'd probably you'll face a little bit tougher opposition in Europe than Kamarik, I think. Um, but there is something in that fluidity of not knowing who's the six and not knowing who's the eight, and your left back can come into it as well. And that shared movement from Ibata, 
that you can you can see how it starts to fit in, and it's not a specific box. I think if it, it's not it's not in the specifically in double pivot, but like Gregor is not in a six you push McGregor up. I think it's a lot more fluid than that, which you kind of want. You, you want the flexibility within it because I think they're all very clever players to kind of and I include Greg Taylor in this to to know when to pop in and know when to go and and they have so that I guess that's the evolution of the system, even though he might have just been there. You have to go. I'm not gonna sing. But I, I think that I can't remember your first question. No, oh, it, on on oh, oh on oh. Yeah. Um well let's take a, a, another wee dump because I think if you look at the second half pass map, everybody's lower. You know, the center backs are lower, Greg Taylor, Alistair Johnson is lower, O'Reilly's <laughs> lower, the wingers are lower. And yes, um, always is a lot lower as well. And essentially what happens when, um, I guess, Alan Power and your man Dorset comes in after on 4 0. You know, we talked about that first 27 minutes had more XDs than a lot of games this season and so on. From the 28th minute after the goal to the 74th minute, Celtic had one shot and 0.11 XG. I mean, the whole period after the fourth goal, they had five shots, uh, 0.90 XG in that whole period. All's chances it's constitutes almost half that XG as well. So I think essentially what Kimarik have to do at that point, they bring Alan Power in, they go to, uh, you could call it a 4-1-4-1 or 4-5-1. But I think image 24, you see how much deeper they suddenly were. They have a lot more men just in the middle, you had that midfield five now instead of a midfield four. And I thought there was one nice, I didn't want to spend too much time on this, but image 25 was just a nice example of how more defensive and compact they were in the second half because, again, it's kind of Starfield have the ball in just inside Celtic's half. Greg Taylor comes into the center circle. But now you have essentially... Five Kelly players on Celtics two fullbacks and their midfield three, so you got five against five. But even though Greg Taylor receives the ball in center circle, his marker, I think it's still Armstrong. Even though it's one against one, you can go one against one. He just falls completely back, right? Completely back. He doesn't. He lets Greg Taylor just come out. But it's the first half, it would have been completely different. I think essentially it's a lot more compact. Celtic didn't get able to get on the ball that much in higher spaces and I think oh, we just had to come a bit deeper to, to try and get on the ball and that's it but I think a 4-0 like tactically yeah it would have been great if you got 6-7-8 but tactically it's not going to get much use for it because Kelly just came in to set up shot up shot and Celtic no I, I think that I mean the rest of the first half I think they tried and it's a little stop start and then the subs come so it's not like they didn't try but it was like you know it's just settle for one, really. I want to talk about the four individual players next, uh, and those would be. I mean, I think this is pretty much on, you know, schedule for what people would be expecting us to talk about. And that is uh, Kobayashi, Iwata, Matt O'Reilly, and the last one, Haxamanovich. But before, I just want to know if you were going into this game, this semi final, and you had. Hatate playing the way that he's been playing this season, Matt O'Reilly at the moment, Iwata at the moment, Callum McGregor. Who's your midfield three? I'm really struggling with that. Mm. You know, because I think 
you you can make a case. Like you play McGurgan, you play Hatati. So essentially, what you're saying is, is it Ivata or Riley? And I, I think you can make a like, just a good case for for both of them. Are we more defensive if it was Iwata, Do you think? I, don't, I honestly don't think so. Like I think, I think with Ivata, you you do have them very much three players who wonders a lot. I guess the only question mark you go. Do you need a type of Matt O'Reilly player in and around the penalty box? Because that you know that's is is for I mean Hatate Iwata and McGregor. Well, well, they all I think can strike a ball and they can score. They're not. You I see them maybe all three as maybe link up players, you know, excellent link up players, and and they can assist as well. But you, you kind of get a feeling you would you want. I'm at O'Reilly in there as well. And I think, to be honest, just right now, probably put Matt O'Reilly in um, just because of that. Uh, and I think, you know, because his movement is exceptional as well, and it's really good. Um, it becomes a, a little bit. But another part is it's been tempting to go with the water because as you see here, it's... It's not as easy to mark them as that because if you're playing McGregor, Hatati, and O'Reilly, you kind of know. Okay, Rangers will will know kind of roughly where how they try to build up, and you can mix it up again. And they, they might not be able to stop it, but if you play Ivata, there you go. Okay, I'm not sure <laughs> sure what's going to happen here. So I I think I'd be, I, right now either or I'd be I'd be happy with both. Okay, well, let's start with the that was on the fence. Sorry, but, you know, <laughs> no, I mean because I think it is a really hard. You would like to, you'd almost like to see to play the two first elevens and see how the games would go because I think they'd be totally different games and it'd be interesting to see. Uh, and I mean, we're talking about Iwata. He's only started a few games, so it's a bit a bit of a, maybe jumping ahead with him. But let's let's talk about Matt O'Reilly because that's he scored two goals, so that means he's good again. Yes, um, as I predicted. By yeah. the way, I, you know I don't like to blow my own horn. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, pretty, I pretty much said that on the pod. A few, yeah, so. Pretty much said that on the pod a few weeks ago. That yeah. he's, he's he's good now. So Matt Riley is good now. Uh, he's gone goals. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'm being kind of flippant because obviously no, a lot of football, not <laughs> a lot of football is all about the results, and it's it's we we judge players based on results, and we're now getting the kind of narrative that uh, Matt Riley's back to form. Um, I was looking into the the numbers earlier, and I think with assistance of you, uh, based on his numbers from last season and discounting the number six games from this season, he's got essentially the same expected assists and the same assists per ninety as last season. So he the the big difference was a big difference this season that he maybe missed a couple of big chances this season that that drew people's attention. And also the fact that Aaron Moy was coming in and getting those sports scene moments. Yeah. If you watch the highlights of Celtic games, Aaron Moy was involved in them. Is is that a combination of why people started to kind of like turn opinion against Matt, Matt O'Reilly? Are they jealous of how good he looks? Because I'm frankly, I'm fucking jealous. Are, are they jealous of Scandinavians? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I, think there's, I think there's something in that, yeah. No. <laughs> 
I, I am also flipping sometimes when I say that, you know, you should never use goals for analysis. You know, we despise goals. And it's obviously. What are they uh, even for? You know what I mean? I know. It's, it's, but, and that's a bit flipping, but it comes back to the fact that so much, as you say, of the narrative is driven by moments. And as we say again and again, scoring goals is really just so much to do with randomness, right? And, you know, when you try to get people to explain why it's a striker scoring now and not earlier, I said, well, what has changed? I said, just embedded form. What was, what was better form mean? So it, I, I think essentially you're right. You know, I, I've been trying to bang on and bang on about the Matt O'Reilly we're seeing this season. There is no difference for me to what you saw last season. Now, even take away from the numbers and stuff like that, because trying to watch all these games two or three times and trying to figure out what was working, and I'm a bit dead wrong, but I'm not really basing what most of my opinions is on numbers. I'm basing them on what I'm seeing. And for me, Matt O'Reilly, what he's do, what he gives to the team, as I said, his his understanding of what he needs to do, his but essentially his movement and and how quick he can be on the ball. I think he's been really good. I, I honestly and take the, the period of play. I didn't really wasn't that good from this season. Wasn't a number six. I just didn't. I just think Celtic struggled a bit with him in the number six. Not so much domestically, but so I, I think you know. I took that decision to play him another type of midfielder, but people saying he was great in this. I don't think he was great in the six at all. But apart from that, I think he's, what he's been missing is, is the moments. And you have another player in Aaron Moore who comes in and have the moments. So it, it sounds complete stereotypical hipster know-it-all to say, <laughs> you know, see the guy who scores a lot of goals. He's not actually that good. See the guy who's uh, it's not scoring. He he's he's really good. And P.S. Look at how clever I am for doing that. But I, 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 all I can always to say is that I try to base that on what I, I, I see in games. And in games, I see an Aaron Moy who has moments because he has that quality and he's had big moments. And it's, that's not you know downplaying that because there are big moments. But everything else he does, I think. I have a lot of issues with, and not not everything else he does, but the size to his game that I think is detrimental to the team. When you look at Matt Riley and he's like, yep, has been getting the goals. Has he been a bit sloppy sometimes? Yeah, but he's probably just a sloppy last season when he was scoring. But everything he does off the ball and away from the goals, away from the moments, adds to the team. So for me, it's it's as simple as that. And then it's an easy conversation to have when now Matt Riley starts scoring. He's got five now in the league. Just as many as Aaron Moy. And you can go, oh, he's good again. He's, you know, he's picked up again, you know. But whereas me is, I, I just don't see a big difference from last season. I mean, it's the same discussion I've tried to have about Greg Taylor. I honestly don't see what Greg Taylor was doing last season. He's doing this season again. And then people are saying, oh, there's this big gap between Uranovich and Taylor last season and this season. Oh, maybe Taylor was better. I was like, well, well no. Like, Greg Taylor is, is better this season, yeah, but every single player is pretty much better within that system. So I think it's the same discussion, but it's just, as you say, it, it becomes a narrative and then it becomes like a, a self 
fulfilling thing that people say because people uh, this is the night so okay yeah that, that is the thing now because a lot of people can't be wrong and again that sounds a bit stereotypical <laughs> except me who knows the <laughs> truth but i mean it, it is purely based on what we try and see i i'm not saying Rio Tati's not having a good season because everybody i think he's having a fantastic season kyogo's having a fantastic season um so it's it's not trying to be a contrarian and saying okay that's that's the prevalent opinion i'm gonna have this because in the large parts of this i agree with probably large parts of the Celtic fan base but these specific players that's i just don't yeah i i was we were speaking about Juranovic earlier and uh I was talking about how I feel as if a large portion of the support were mistaking Angie's rotation for Europe and for the Qatar World Cup coming up as a genuine, I don't know who's better between Anthony Rouse and Josip Juranovic. And same discussion there as Kyogo and Gigi, surely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the way it's panned out, Angie obviously knew all along that Kyogo was going to be his main striker um, but that that is a kind of I think that's a problem when it when it comes to players leaving because it's the same thing with Jeremy Frimpong, it kind of leaves under a cloud and people maybe underrate how good he actually was for us and I think that's that's going to be the case with Yusuf Yanovic it's a, like, Can I, I mean, exhibit A Christopher Ayer I, 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 know, I know I mentioned him a lot but Come on, like it's <laughs> another another example of that Frimpong as well. Like, fit him and Frimpong in the same back force is is it's a bit ridiculous. But it's, I mean, it's it's probably if we had one response on Twitter about our talking about Alistair Johnston as well. But it's the same discussion as with Aaron Moy. Like it's not Alistair Johnston is is a, for me a. a He's got some really, really good qualities. And he's got moments, doesn't he? He's got a moment in this game. He's got moments when he, he smashes range plays. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's a hell of a lot of fun when you're in the stadium specifically. But I mean that Jordan Jones tackle, that was And I think you said it in the in the chat as well, but again, same discussion you have with Ralston. He's much better than Ralston, but also the size to his game still doesn't really fit this team greatly. You know, there's a couple of times um, one of the images we talked about earlier when Taylor plays the ball into Ivata when it's um, Kelly's trying to press high, it goes over to Alistair Johnson. Ivata makes the same run. He makes a run behind the player that's presses Alistair Johnson. He's like, he's in space. Johnson kind of goes, ah, I'm just going to go back to Starfield here. And you kind of go, oh, come on, man. You, you, like, you need to hit those passes. Everybody else in that team that's hitting those passes, you need to be, be part of that as well. So, And that is nitpickery like because is there a metric for that is is there a metric for dangerous attempt the dangerous pass attempt is there anything like because i'd be interested to see if he is he is increasing those so you have stephen russell does something called an xt which is expected threat in terms of based on where you're passing the ball in what situations are you more or less likely to you know, get into dangerous position. You got all the possession value models like that as well. Like OBV. Have we talked a lot about the stats for one? Is another one. Um, the other one that said that David Thunberg was better than Rio Tate. Uh, uh, Stephen's model always, I think, 
it's quite <laughs> negative against Alistair Johnson in those things. Probably because Stephen, you know, is probably some he's added his own anti-Canadian bias to that model. I think, but I mean, come on, surely he can't. That boy can't have anti-Canadian bias. <laughs> but as I said before, like I think, we, like us, we do podcasting fans. When you watch games one, two times, yes, you, you still want to bring the numbers and you still see what the numbers are saying and respect them. But also, I think you start trusting your own eyes a lot, a lot more when we do the level of kind of research and analysis we try to do. You know, so I, for me, I base that more on what I'm seeing rather than the numbers to be honest. So. I wanted to, I mean, we've, we have spoken a bit about Awata, but let's, I want to focus on Kobayashi and uh, oh, yes. God, Like, I, don't, I know it's so, it's just so on brand for us to be, like, having uh, stunners for this guy. But he was just, I know there was a, a couple of moments where he missed defensive headers and then he, he, won, he won the second defensive header and stuff like that. But he was like velvet. When it, it was like it was like a galaxy caramel oh. on that park when it came to zip. It, it was a really quick, nice combination of like quickly zipping passes to people close by, and then trying much more adventurous passes to the final third. There's so much, I mean, and one thing I think we just have to be careful and look at. Let's look at what it actually does because it looks so smooth. He said, "Well, it, it, it looks so much more comfortable," and you think the two other centre backs. And well, I have a lot of issues with their passing. They don't help themselves in the way <laughs> they look when they pass because it, it looks a bit gangrene and a bit awkward. And I'd rather not. Because if Gal could insert his noise in at this moment, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, not that. <laughs> but like Kobayashi just looks like he's in a jacuzzi when he does that. Oh, it's just um, so you have that. But I think what you said there is that it's the sip of it, and it's a couple. Is that he? I think he exudes the confidence. I honestly think people, players will look at that. Okay, I'll pass this guy the ball because he looks so cool. He does, and he's just, but he sips it. Like it's not a lot of it is not about line splitting passes or beating defenders. It's just going boom, boom, boom. A lot of simple passes. I mean, the goal to Taylor before the three 0 goal is like, I think it's a pass that CCV and stuff will can make as well, and they have done. But with him, it's just like you never in doubt. He's, he sees it, executes it. There you go. Bob's your uncle. Um, so I just, just get a warm feeling when he plays really great. I mean, I've only put one image in, there's image 21, which I think is is one of his, you can show off his actual passing, you know, range in terms of technically difficult stuff, not just simple things quickly. It's when he gets the ball kind of out wide um, from Greg Taylor, is, is, obviously he is the deep pivot. It takes the ball quite a high speed up to the halfway line where he's pressed but he sends the ball while almost running over the Kamarnock right back into the path of Maeda and Maeda can do a first time cross from inside the penalty box and it's just that having that he doesn't need to stop the ball up take a wee run up hit it he does that really difficult pass while running Right, and it's 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 perfect. And it's just so he obviously got a level of passing scope that is higher than CCVs and Starfield. But I think it's more for me is is the calmness he excuse excuse on the ball, and he does the simple thing quickly, and that's 
Ivata is somebody else who's just, he runs and he, he, he shows for the ball and it sounds simple, but it's really hard. And it, I think it's the same thing. It's just, it looks simple, but I think it comes with that confidence and just having really good technique, ball technique on the ball. There's and no just, way he starts the final, but the semi final is there. But... Well, you said about, do you do Ivata or O'Reilly? And I go, why shouldn't he start the semi final? But there's, that's not the question. That's the, that's not the question. The question is, there's no way he starts a semi-final. Compare him to Starfield, do you think? Other than experience, do you think there's any facets of Starfield games that is better than Kobayashi's? One thing I would say, and this would be the stick to beat Kobayashi with, is if he gets dragged into a kind of battle with someone like Morelos, and doesn't show himself up well in that. That can, I know, but I I think he, I, I always think he'd be able to handle it. I mean, Alice Johnson struggled with Morelos on from set pieces, for example, uh, as well. It's, you know, Starfelt. He doesn't have a great game. CCB doesn't have a great game against Morelos either. I mean, he's, he's a difficult striker to play against. I just think I, I think Kobayashi's. Good defensively, he seems calm defensively, and I would play him. I honestly would. So, would you would you be seeing your your first choice centre back pairing for Celtic going forward as Kobayashi and CCB? I think I would, and I think Starfield on the ball, I think tries a bit more than CCB and is a bit less safe, but. I don't think he's, he hasn't impressed me recently. Like defensively, Starfelt. I mean, he see on the first couple of minutes yesterday, and he gets completely nutmegged. Mm. Um, and he's that is quite a big chance for Kamarik's very all I know. And then you go, it's a couple of those lately that hasn't been great. And he, he's the type of player who can show up in the semi-final and have an absolute man of the match performance, Carl Starfelt, because he's got that in him, but. When you're talking about, oh, is there going to be a drop-off between Kobayashi and Starfield? And you go, I don't see the, a big drop-off in quality at all. And yet, Kobayashi might have a bad game, but Starfield might have a good one but it, defensively, but it might be completely opposite as well. So the upside you get with Kobayashi, especially against a team like Rangers, who will press you and keep it tight. Uh, look, I'm going to bat. I, I play him. I mean, he's up against Golden, but... Uh... Nominee Van der Veen next week. So, I mean, well, I see. Well, let's see. Yeah, so, we'll see. um, he has had now had a couple of starts, and I think people, I think people are preferring his cameos. And one, one thing that stuck out to me is that anytime he comes in for a cameo, he's getting on the left hand side, he's getting to do what he likes to do, which is coming in his right, right uh, foot. Uh, play, a, play a good incisive pass, maybe hit the, the top corner, the bottom corner. That's it's the, the sports scene uh, clips that we've been talking about earlier. On the right-hand side, I think we maybe have this assumption that Haksabanovic is like Jota, so he will be equally as comfortable on the right-hand side. My impression from the couple of starts he's had on the right-hand side is it, it's, it's, hard, it's ridiculous, basically, to judge him that way and that he can just be as effective on the right-hand side. For me, he was fine against Kavanagh, but I think if we're playing Haksabanovic, we need to be playing him on the left-hand side. What, what do you think of that? I, I, I think it's more that 
he hasn't done anything wrong in those two games, really. I, again, he hasn't had the moments in very well, but it's, it also hasn't been easy to do. I mean, look at that left-hand side, like Kobayashi, Taylor, um, and, you know, for a large part, Cal McGregor popping up, Ibata popping up. And then on the other side, you've had, you know, Starfield and Alistair Johnson. There's a different kind of players to play with as well. And Celtic went so much left, especially with Greg Taylor coming in and so on. They went so much left. So I think in play Haxabamish on the left yesterday, he's probably involved. He's probably involved in one of the goals and, and so on. I mean, it, it, it does set up Alistair Johnson for, for the second goal for that as well. So when he's on the ball, so yeah. But yeah, does he prefer the left? I think he does for the moment. Like the moments he he because he can cut on the, on the right as well, and I think Jota has learned how to be a bit more effective on the right as well. I think it's it's good on the right. It's just interesting in terms of you got those two very highly technical players, right? Who both prefer to cut in from the right, and then you have another wing in Maeda who's. Like his on the ball stuff is not his strength at all, and you kind of go, surely you put the guy who's not as strong technically on the ball on his preferred foot because he's what he's there for is, is to run <laughs> and you know and be aggressive and get beyond. And he, surely Mayeda can do that on the right hand side just as on the left hand side. But obviously, Ange doesn't. There's something there with Ange that he goes, I want my less technically gifted right-footed player on the left and not my technically gifted right who likes to gifted player likes on the left. So that was almost I don't know the, what, what do you think, Graham? I, I, I'm really not sure why he's playing I, I know because Maya is highly effective on the left, but it's 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 kinda there must be something in it. There must be a reason why he's playing Maya on the left and not the right. You spoke too long there. I had a really good joke yes. about it being oh, the, the alternative line to I want my MTV from uh, Dire Straits. Um, so That's okay, I wouldn't have got that. So. Uh, maybe I can edit that in at the appropriate time. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dyson is is just so effective when he's just, he's such a good defensive winger and he's so effective in that position. And I think we, we spoke earlier in the season and you said that you don't see why you couldn't be as effective on the right. But I don't know, like he's not, he's not the classic inside forward. He's not the classic kind of uh, inverted winger. So to me, he would be the natural one to play in the right position yeah. because, because he's not the. I mean, he had that goal against Hips where he cuts, cuts in from the left hand side and batters it into the top corner. But most of the time, it is about the width, it is about hugging the line, getting in the short. Oh, and arriving backs. at the back post as well. Aye. And the, the amount of times that he's, he's probably his biggest offensive move, offensive move this season has been left footed crosses. Whereas yeah. you think, switch him to the right, and he's probably going to get more precise and crosses. Like, he, he, he misses a couple of them. In this game as well, but so I didn't you look at is is this something with Jordan Haxabanovich and and Ange goes actually I want him right because on the left will they not release the ball as quickly because they want to go I don't know I, maybe is it something to do with the fact that Greg Taylor is going to be playing so centrally and they want some more defensive player in front of him I mean it could be that I mean that's that's a good point because a lot of Carstalfel's job is to sweep up in, in that space as well he goes in. I guess Alistair Johnson is not as inverted, so you 
you know, it's slightly more maybe defensive strength for him as well. So maybe there's like an asymmetrical thing going on there, but still an interesting one. Okay, we, we, we yeah. like to pose these questions. Yeah. We don't like to answer so many, no. but we like to pose them. No. Uh, okay, we have a couple of questions before we move on to other news. Uh, Colin has uh, written in and said, is there anything Ange, is there anything Ange of the players? Okay, I don't know what's supposed to be said here. I'm just going to read it verbatim. <laughs> is there anything Ange of the players can, all the players, I'm assuming it's supposed to be, all the players can do in the Champions League to improve their chances of scoring? First of all, apologies to Colin, because I was quite, I thought that would be easy enough to understand. I don't know why you struggle with that, to be honest. I think it was like Ange of the players was more like Christian of the mountains. <laughs> it, it, so this comes back to my thing that I, I don't believe in goals. Um, mm-hmm. Although I think goals are within Goals believe in you, Christian, but goals mm-hmm. believe in you. Let's see. I still have to work a bit harder. <laughs> um, so I, I think there's a lot within that very small group of people who are good enough to be professional football strikers. But there's a lot of variance when you score or not. So if you want to score more goals in Europe, to give yourself a bit of chance of that, you create more and better chances. That's it's probably much as simple as that. Um, which means the whole team needs to be able to fit the system, Claxon, and to be as relentless and, and keep producing those chances and cr- producing the type of chances, you know, the higher the, you know, the quality of the chances the more likely you are to score. And, you know, some people call it luck. We in Urge call it random variance. You have to have a bit of random variance as well. And that is, as we call about the moments, you know, if you look at Kyoga's finishing in in Europe, I think a lot of them are from difficult positions. A couple of his finishes are actually really good, but you have some really good saves. I think it's header against this Leipzig. I said the other one, Shakta one as well early on. A couple of really good finishes. It's random variants, good goalkeepers. Um, but other than his, his, none of those chances are huge. It's good, but they're not huge. So I think create better chances, create more chances, better luck. Yeah. Some breaking news, uh, thanks to to Wee Joe in uh, one of the group chats. Uh, Lowland leagues have the Lowland league clubs have voted to allow Celtic Rangers and Hearts B teams entry to the following season as well. So they will oh, continue. Nice. Uh, apparently, East Stirlingshire have voted against it. They're, they're raging that uh, we're going to be allowed. But there you go. Okay. The BT Stirlingshire at the weekend as well. That's probably why. I think yeah. so. And then uh, Football Manager 23 earlier, I beat them 10 now away from home. So <laughs> maybe it's something to do with that. We'll never maybe. know. We'll never know. Uh, I mean, we are, we're not going to get into the B team stuff, but hopefully we can just get away from the Lowland League and into the actual pyramid at yeah. some point. That would be ideal. I'm guessing, I'm guessing these seasons are acting as a kind of like, look, it's not that bad. Other teams. Nobody dies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe we bring clubs money, I guess. But yeah, we'll see. You bribe the terrace. I think if you get those lads on board, right, the rest of Scottish football will uh, fall. So. Yeah, I think that one from the terrace may have imploded uh, after the first 27 minutes on Sunday. So. <laughs> yeah. right. so this is a question from Dave Gallagher. 
he says Gallagher with a CH, not Gallagher. Are we able to, are we going to do a double pivot in Europe next year and the possible formation change as Andrew's talked about, Iwata and McGregor sitting? So we've been talking about those rotations in, in light of the commandment game. Is that something you can see as a go-to tactic next season in the Champions League? I don't think you see a double pivot as two guys sitting deep. I think because I think you need that movement. You need the two number eights trying to get between the midfield and attack. Uh, sorry, the midfield and the back lines, and then pushing the space behind the back lines. Well, I think if you just have the one, I don't think it's enough, especially the way Ange play. But I guess the, the exciting thing about the Camarano game is like, was that a template of okay? You don't have a double pivot at any one time, but you do have two guys who can play the double pivot in the same game and they can essentially rotate, you know, um, as you, as we are tight in, Greg Taylor rotates and one goes wide and then one's go inward. Kyle McGregor can, can pop up into the number eight space. Ivata can hold, Ivata can, can move and, and do that as well. So I think that's in the sense that yet yeah, you might have two players that can play the deep six in a game, but I don't think they'll sit next to each other. Um, I think you're actually kind of more likely to have situations in games where we have two deep six. One of them will be Greg Taylor, as in this game as well, because that upsets, that poses more questions, as you saw here, of the opponent than just having two central midfielders doing it. Bring Greg Taylor in, for example, beside Kyle McGregor, push Ibata and say Hatati up. What you have, Graham? You have a box midfield. And I love and a box I'll, of fun. I love, yeah, I know you love a box midfield. So I, I do. I mean, my, so I my, instead, of, instead of double pivot, you will have a, a, a transient uh, box midfield. My my favorite double pivot, double double pivot is uh, saying up yours to someone and doing the V sign. Um, I mean, so. mine is Mascherano in that one. So, but okay. Did did you did you know the the V sign when you came over to to the UK? Did you know that was like equivalent of fuck you? It's, no, I was a bit confused because. A lot of obviously the really famous V sign is it's the Churchill one. So mm-hmm. everybody outside of that. So so I think it just took me a little bit to I had to invert my V mm-hmm. essentially. V, yeah. So okay. and then this one. Just different. Um <laughs> just just to let the let the lessons know he just did the international sign for uh, Felicio, I, I don't know, does it Cunilingus? I mean Cunilingus, yes. That's <laughs> just a retreat Felicio. for you. <laughs> Not a Felicio, that's a different sign. Um so that's the Italian uh, sign. My my uh, uh so Kristen, I had to explain to her the V sign. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before. The V sign uh, magic eye images. She did she thought I was like taking the piss out of her when I was when I said that I could see something in a magic eye image. And uh, scratch and sniff posters. Did you have scratch and sniff posters in Europe? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like a poster, you would scratch it and then it would smell like cheese and onion crisps. Uh, vaguely. I don't know why you would do that, but okay. So. It was it was like in the Bath Street Kids and stuff, you know what I mean? It was classic, classic literature. Hey, okay, so there's been some in European football news, there's been some hijinks. By the way, I didn't really mention Ivata's movement, but image 22 and 23 examples Ivata's amazing movement. I just want to get that in. I thought we'd no, spoken you, about him enough. But you okay. can move on. So, I don't know if you heard, after uh, 
Man City battered Bayern. Uh, Bayern started I battering heard. each other. <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry. Sadio Mane punched Leroy Sane, and maybe for having a similar name to him, uh, in the face. Uh, he has been fined €300,000, which I'm assuming is two weeks' wages. Yeah. Um, Pep Guardiola has come out and said that sometimes this kind of fighting in a dressing room brings everyone together. And, you know, as everyone thinks Pep Pep's the best manager ever, but when Neil Lennon pinned someone against the wall in the Hibs yeah. dressing room, you yeah. never, never heard anyone talking about that. You know yeah. I mean? They're all like, he's a big bad man. I'm, I'm glad we could resurrect Neil Lennon's image on this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so so my question, and uh, Sadio Mane is going to be let go by Bayern in the summer. Uh, it's not working out. He's going to be let go. 34 what? million down the drain for a 31-year-old. You talk about um, narratives in football. There's, there's a parallel one going on where apparently Liverpool is having such a bad season because they miss Sadio Mane and Bayern Munich is having such a bad season because they have Sadio Mane. So, I mean, it started well with them, but... Uh... He's not a cool player, and that big injury really messed things up. So, yeah. But my question to you is, if you could... So, we're not going to say if you could spend 300000 who would you punch in the world of football? But if you could spend two weeks' wages to punch someone in the world of football, who would you like to punch? You should point that one on me. Yeah, two weeks' wages, so your €40,000 or whatever it is you make for. Cristiano um, Ronaldo. Where would you punch him? In the face. I think the the, the throat would be quite nice because then he'd be like trying to speak and stuff and like that. It's just because, you know, he doesn't seem like a very nice person. No, he doesn't. So, yeah. I, I don't, I, obviously, I won't do any violence to anybody because I'm not I'm just like that kind of guy. But, so, you know. There was, uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, alleged rapists, we had... Uh, the Hakimi of uh, Paris Saint-Germain and there was a post up about how he's going to avoid paying any uh, basically alimony to his wife who's divorcing him over the allegations uh, and Alan McGregor gave it a like yeah. on social media so we won't spend too much time on that we'll just let that one slide yeah, just <laughs> put it uh, on the agenda <laughs> Liverpool have pulled out the race to sign Jude Bellingham because it's going to cost the whole transfer fee that they have for the rebuild. A <laughs> uh, 130 odd million apparently Dortmund want for him at least. And uh, Klopp was asked if he was angry. He said he's not angry. These things happen. There's no point in getting angry. It's not going to change anything. Very diplomatic. And he sounds angry. Yeah, he sounds very angry. Um, is it so? First of all, has there been? I, I noticed someone posting about a kind of negligence that Liverpool have had over the last few years when it comes to putting all their, their eggs in one basket, waiting for Bellingham, not building a midfield, <laughs> neglecting the central midfield position so that they could afford Bellingham and then now can't afford them anyway. I mean, what is the state of Liverpool at the moment? Is uh, Do you think Klopp's going to walk away? Is, is, is it just downhill? Because, I mean, the, the owners don't look as interested as they once were. Yeah, thanks for that, Graham. Um <laughs> There's a couple of sides to it. Like, I think... I think there is prudence and, and a lot of logic in saying if you don't get the play you want right now, like don't get uh, not as good as a replacement. Always example with Liam with Richard Van Dyke, you know, because they wanted to get him the summer before he came. So that said no. 
Liverpool didn't go out and get another centre back because you know, they wanted to get Virgil van Dijk, which paid off. And I guess what can happen in the meantime is that players get too good and he goes, you know, above that. I don't think okay, Bellingham specifically with 130 million, you can you can get a lot of good players, but you also need to spend them wisely. I think the more disturbing stuff around Liverpool is Michael Edwards, which is kind of like, I guess, sort of like the sporting director, but really it's something who held the, like the group process, like the glue together. It's leaving. I think a couple of their, you know, very very smart guys are leaving in terms of analytics and research department. It's been a lot of illingo, like Edwards replacements and so on. So. And there's been talk about Jurgen Klopp having more of a say in the, in the transfers. So honestly, um, so it's more that what to build that success on, which is yes, one having a lot of money, but two using a lot of money very smartly. Unless you have that, if that's when the issues kind of streaking. So streaking. So I wouldn't be too worried about Bellingham if everything behind the scenes was still kind of the same and ticking over, but. It's yet to be seen whether that is still the case. For Klopp, you probably know just as much as me. I mean, is is it seventh season now? Is it coming up to the eighth? Mm-hmm. Um, we can't actually, you know, top of my head. Um, and that's a long time for any football manager. You know, we've had a lot of talk about, you know, Brendan Rodgers is and how tactics kind of catches up with people and they become I guess tactically a bit more irrelevant very quickly I think Klopp is a way who's who's always been good at relying on ideas within Mm. his team and he hasn't yes he has principles but he's been very much the front figure of that like the the flagship of that whereas the details and his research has gone to other people in his team so that's probably a way to you know, you survive seven years, let alone more. But it'd be interesting to see what if he has the if he has the hunger, if he wants to do it, he'll, I think he, he'll keep going, which I think is I think is fine. But I, I'm more nervous about behind the scenes stuff. But having said that, if you gave me uh, the Serbi from next season, I'll, I'll be very tempted. What about Ange? <laughs> and yeah, I, yes. Celtic podcaster wants Andrew away. Yes. I mean, if if he's gonna leave, um, <laughs> I, I, it would it would be really interesting to see how we would do in a in a top six seven in, in terms of that. You know, Graham Potter is an example of how little time you'll get, so you you do have to produce within the first few months. Um, and I think he he could absolutely do that. But like, is it is it a case of? I mean, we, they always talk about football being cyclical, and I, I, I always rail, rail against that because I think if you if you're smart enough, you can make football non-cyclical. And I think Alex Ferguson was someone that was smart enough, smart enough to to rage against that idea. And I think Pep Guardiola has been smart enough to do that. He's he's evolved his team and his tactics throughout, keep, constantly keeping it modern and uh, looking to see what's happening in the world of football. So I think you can make it non-cyclical if you just have enough education. And, and, and I think it has been cyclical because, as you say. That's what happens in football unless you, you've, you know, it's almost been as random beforehand that, I mean, United at Manchester United is, is a good example in terms of the reason why they haven't been great 
the last 10, 11 years, it's because they've made some really, really bad decisions off the pitch. You know, had they, had they made the right ones and the clever ones, they wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. You know, had they gone out and hired Pep Guardiola and, and, you know, transformed the club in the way the city has transformed them, because they have the same amount of money, pretty much, um, they would still be on top, but they're not. So, no. I agree, Graham. I just wanted to interrupt you and say that. So, okay, I like it. I like yeah. it. It's, uh, some small, some small stories before we go. Okay. Uh, UV had, had losses of two hundred and forty million euros in twenty twenty two. So Great. I mean that's that's completely normal. Um, Tottenham are apparently bidding seventy million for Anzu Fati. So Anzu Fati is someone who can have uh, burned brightly to begin with. Uh, he's not really getting. I don't think he's a starter for Xavi uh, at, at times. Are you? Is it getting to the stage where some Premiership clubs are getting priced out of the inflation of Premiership clubs? Because I mean, if we're talking about Bellingham being too expensive at 130 because they need to fund a whole new regeneration, and Anzu Fati is 70 million, then I mean, these clubs are operating, you know, very high up to like in terms of what they're spending on wages compared to the income. And then that's what it comes back to. It doesn't matter if you're like Aberdeen or Liverpool. Like if, if you go over 70, 80, 85, I don't know what Aberdeen's are, to be honest, but if you go up to 80, 85% of income is, is wages, you're going to struggle. So yeah, you have a lot of money, but if you've, it's not just the transfer fees as such, it's, it's the wages now as well. And players are coming to England from all over because that's where the money is but surely there's there's a limit because if you keep if you're able to buy all these good players in one way you're going to be spending a lot more money as well because you, you go oh, shit we got enough money to buy this superstar you'd maybe probably go to Real Madrid otherwise and wear West Ham you know it's so but like that comes with the expectation of the price tag that they choose to Premier League and are not a lot of these players would choose to Premier League over a club for, like, yeah, the exposure and a lot of the best players play there, but also the money. So that would be delightful if that happened. Let's finish on Leo Abada. Oh, uh, I thought we were never going to come to this. Uh, one of the, the most intelligent football clubs in the world, would you say? One of the most well-run football clubs in the world is earmarked Leo Abada, Ajax, Ajax Amsterdam. It's just a club that got Calvin Bassey. I don't know what that voice was. Calvin uh, Bassey, left back, centre back, you name it, he can play it badly. Um, does, does, so, as someone who has been critical of Leila Bada over, over his time at Celtic, despite you. his many goals and his many you. assists, you. Okay. Uh, does, does it worry you that a club as well run as Ajax sees something in him? Is this Ajax very well run? You tell me. I, I, well, they have hired uh, our friend Sven Mislintat as the new director of football, formerly of Dortmund, of course, and, and Arsenal. Um, okay. Basically, went round the houses for a while, like a. Um, I don't think Ajax makes purely just all good decisions. But, but I mean, I, it depends on your style of play, though. Like, the about that is. What style of play do you think he would really flourish in? I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you were going to answer that. I just wanted to hear you say it. Um, I think we talked about it a lot of the time as well, whereas you go like, at one point it's like, 
like you want him in a team like Celtic because he's his ability is inside the box, right? It, undoubtedly for me, and yeah, and so you're getting to all those chances and so on. But then he, he was putting up really good numbers in in Israel as well, in the team that wasn't top of the league. And another part of his game, you think, is is that speed, not with the ball, but put a ball in behind at a space there. You know, he's he's he's, he's got rapid speed. He's I think he's he you know decent enough delivery uh, as well. You know, for me, the favorite about the one is probably going all the way back to AC Alkmaar, and uh, that is actually a long ball from Tony Ralston over and the crossing to to Kyogo. So he can be effective in that kind of like a counter attack situations as well. Oh, it's, I think you need a direct team for Leal Bari. He, he is not the one to pop in and out of, you know, spaces between the defense and attack or have a huge defensive job. You, you need them getting into the penalty box, be it from, I guess, a team like Celtic got a lot of chances, or one that is very direct and, and can use some that speed and get into the box and, and arrive in the box uh, as well. But he's he's a funny, he's a really funny player like that. Because as you say, that's people will bring up his goals and assists, which are undeniable. I think I did look in terms of goals in the league this season, he's got less a little bit less minutes than Mayer and, and Jota, but they're all on 13 goals. Mm. And you do kind of go then, okay. You know, you know, I, I don't like goals, obviously, but if you've got those three players on 13 goals, their output, look at what Maeda and Jota gives you outside of that goals, and look at what Abada gives you. So for me, he's, he's, he's a parallel to, to Gigi, somebody who also very effective in the box, gets you goals, gets you assist. But I don't think anybody's, you know, missing him. Are they? I I think you do the same thing. You you sell him when the stock is high. You bring him somebody else who's. I know we say fit the system all the time, but he brings you something else outside the goals and assists. And I think a lot of people are, see with O that all he needs to develop. He he's got the potential to be some of the things Gigi was, but also more. I think with Dabado, you sell him, you bring in somebody who can do both. You can also get the goals and assists, but he he can. You can bring something else, be it Mayeda's, what Mayeda does, what Hexabanovich does, what Jota does. You will always get your chances and you will always be able to create chances for Celtic. So I think you just need to do, you need somebody who's just a benefit. Okay, that's it. And that's, and I think about it going this summer for a good amount of money, does it not suit everybody? Can we not just all be friends and say that that's, that's a good thing for everybody to uh, for, for happen. That's why I want. You know as well as I know. Peace sign. You know as well as peace I know. Peace sign. Not the other V, that V. Peace sign. There'll be wee guys on discords up and down the country raging at your Abada slander here. They don't want to get along. To, to those people, I say, go in peace and send me a message. And we can have, the, the, a, have a rational discussion. This is quite uh, disconcerting because uh, uh, Christian has turned into some kind of Jesus figure at the end. I know, it, it must have been darker in the room. Yeah, and you've got like... Tell, tell you what it was. i tell you exactly what it was. It's because I couldn't remember uh, Sven's last name. So I googled it 
and the web page is very white. So if so I you've now got the whitest face, I'll start. Oh, there we go. Yeah, because my I've done everything else like my office, like my Word, Excel, everything is in dark mode now. So that's it. See, I, was talk- I was actually talking about your attitude, your peace and love attitude. It was a very Jesus and the fact that you had brilliant white light shining in your face to make you look holy as well. Do I see myself as Jesus? I, not for me to say. But I, I wouldn't nail that easy, Chris. I'm telling you that. So. There you go. Same and on that man. bombshell, mm-hmm. I've been your host, Graham McKay. It's been an absolute pleasure, Christian. It's, Graham, the pressure is always mine. when we can just sit here in our echo chamber and, and nobody bothers us. Yeah. So and next week we can come back and talk about Avander Reen Hattrick from Motherwell and how he is now got the golden boot in Europe. Okay. Yeah. It's a date. <laughs> and that additional bombshell. We'll catch you down the road.